Impact Podcast, a podcast devoted to unpacking faith, life, and leadership. The goal, to simplify big ideas for a greater impact in everyday people like you and me. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome uh, to episode number eight of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer, and I'm your host, and I hope that our conversation today will give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact with your life. Do you know what is the all-time best-selling book? Now, you probably guessed it. It's the Bible. And I've, I've heard somebody jokingly call it the number one best-selling book that's never read. But as sad as that is, it's kind of true. Many people, if they have a Bible, rarely, if ever, crack it open and read it. Why? Well, for many people, it's a big book that seems far too difficult and challenging to understand. So what do you do? I mean, is the Bible difficult to understand? Well, today I got a chance to sit down and ask Scott Womble all kinds of questions that I've heard over the years about why the Bible is difficult. Scott is the vice president of academics and a professor of Bible and ministry at St. Louis Christian College, where he has been teaching Bible interpretation for 20 years now. He has earned his doctorates in this field. In other words, Scott knows his stuff. And so, is the Bible difficult to understand? Well, this is the answer that we are looking at, and the answer might shock you. So here's my conversation with Scott Womble. Well, I am honored to have Scott Womble uh, as a guest. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, Scott, I know you um, fairly well, uh, fairly kind of... um, since I've come out here to uh, Illinois, got to know you at uh, at St. Louis. But uh, for those of who may not know you, could you just share a little bit about yourself? You know who you are, what do you do, and what led you into focusing on understanding the Bible, hermeneutics? Yeah, uh, well, I've been in ministry since 1995. Uh, I'm a graduate of St. Louis Christian College and went into ministry in Central Illinois. Uh, was in ministry seven years, and while I was doing that, I picked up my MDiv at Lincoln Christian Seminary. Uh, in 2002, I went to work full-time at St. Louis Christian College, uh, was actually teaching half-time and the athletics director slash basketball coach half-time, which was very fun, by the way. But eventually, I've wore, wore a lot of hats at the college, really, over the years. And uh, the last four years, I have been serving as the vice president of academics and uh, picked up my doctorate uh, uh, doctorate of ministry out at Portland Seminary at George Fox University a couple years ago. And um, that's pretty much where I'm at right now, yeah. Okay. So I got really, uh, as far as, ask me that question again directly about the Bible. Yeah, yeah. How? What led you to kind of focus on um, Bible interpretation? Yeah. I'll tell you what, when I was a undergrad student at St. Louis Christian College, I, in spring of 91, I took two classes uh, with Dr. Bob Kirka, who uh, some of your viewers will know, passed away a few years ago, very dear friend. Yeah. And... I took two classes. I didn't know what either one of them meant. One of them, uh, the registrar said, hey, I think you'll like these. So that's what I did. One was called apologetics. I had no idea what that word meant. And one was hermeneutics. And I had no idea what that word meant. I took hermeneutics and uh, it was like the light came on. Uh, I was attending a church at a time, uh, at the time that 
we'll say did some creative interpretation at times. Okay. I, I remember I remember literally being in church a few times, looking at the Bible while they were preaching, wondering either I was really stupid or where are they getting this stuff? Like I, you know, I wasn't sure what to make of it. And when I started taking hermeneutics with Dr. Kirk of the light, just, it just came on. And I have been passionate about hermeneutics ever since spring of 91. And that's not, a, that's not a joke. So I started teaching as an adjunct at St. Louis Christian in 2001, teaching hermeneutics. And uh, then the next year, the opportunity opened up so that I started working full time at the college. I've been teaching hermeneutics essentially for 20 years at this point. Wow. It's the one staple thing that I really always love to teach, never get tired of. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's the history there. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and, and Scott, that's kind of what I want, you know, just to pick your brain on it and to discuss uh, with you is, you know, the Bible interpretation, you know, what do you do with difficult texts? Um, so just kind of, just to, to start, um, from your experience in ministry, you were in ministry for a while, but you've also been yeah. in the academic world also for a while. And, you know, sadly, the academic world is also riddled with um, bad interpretation. Um, why is the Bible important? You know, I, I'm glad you let me look at these questions in advance because that's a that's a really important question. I mean, it really is. It sounds like a basic question, but it's it's not a basic question. It's vital. And as I was thinking about that, you know, if it weren't for the Bible, I wouldn't be a Christian. Mm. I mean, I might be a person seeking spiritual truth, but I would not be a Christian. I mean. I can't be a Christian without Christ, and it's in the Bible where I find out about Christ. So the Bible is, is everything, and it's, it's not what our culture wants to tell us, but it's critical to the Christian life that uh, the, the life of a Christian finds its basis in God's Word, and that is the starting point. Uh, you know, it's where we encounter a God who came to establish relationship with us. It's where we, we find a Lord and Savior who gave his life for us. So I think the Bible is everything. And of course, I mean, you know, we're living in a culture right now that exalts our feelings above biblical truth. And we think that uh, if, it, if what the Bible says doesn't jive with what I think, then I'll just kick the Bible to the curb and I'll do what I think because we just well, we just think we're that smart and our feelings matter more than what God says. And that's a big problem. You know, a lot of people want to know what the will of God is in their life. And of course, the starting point is what does God tell us in his word? And of course, the second problem is we follow our feelings all the time, but we're sinful people, fallen people who don't always make the right decisions. We're not as wise as we think we are. And you know, I just find that the Bible, the Bible's critical to the Christian life. I, you can't really live the Christian life outside of it. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm right there with you, Scott. You know, it's, um, you know, we would know, I mean, we can know some things from, you know, um, nature. You know, Paul talks about that, Romans 1, right. that we, we have this general understanding that there is a creator, but we have little to almost anything really to work off of to understand who yeah. we are. And, you know, outside yeah. of that, we are just aimless. Yeah, I can echo that. I mean, it's, a, it's my, I wasn't raised in church and, but as a eight, nine year 
10-year-old kid somewhere in that time frame, I started believing in God. And I remember as a little kid, as, as crazy as this sounds, laying in my driveway, looking up at the stars at night, contemplating, there's got to be something bigger than me, you know. And, uh, but that didn't make me a Christian. You know, it was encountering Christ that made me a Christian. And that's where I found Christ through the pages of the Bible, ultimately. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I found God, like you said, through other means, but I did not directly find Christ outside of knowing what the Bible said. So the Bible's, you know, it's, it's, our, it's our foundation. Yeah, yeah. So, Scott, the Bible's important, but why in the world is it so <laughs> hard and sometimes confusing to understand? You know, let, let, me, uh, let me just say that I, I know the heart of what that question is about, but I don't think the Bible is near as confusing as a lot of people make it out to be. In fact, I think it's been grossly overstated, even to the point where I think that the enemy can use a statement like that and, and then influence people just not to read the Bible, because after all, it's, it's too confusing. Uh. So don't bother. And, you know, I, so I think a statement like that is uh, that people, you know, it's just too hard. I think that that's a fallacy, first of all. It's really not too hard. And I think we need to remember that, you know, the general public has been reading the Bible for almost 600 years now, and it's served them pretty well. Did we get it all right? Well, of course not. We don't get it all right today either, but we got enough right. And I'm sure we're going to meet a lot of those folks in eternity. So, you know, is the Bible so confusing that we can't understand it? I don't think that that's the case. But of course, I mean, I know the heart of your question. Sometimes it can be difficult to understand. And But I think that uh, there's just some basic skills that every Christian should have. And it doesn't it cost, it's not going to cost a, a lot of money or anything to understand some of these skills. And the, the two things that I think are just critical are number one is that everyone needs to understand what, you know, literary context is all about. You don't open up any book and read and open up to the middle of the book and turn to paragraph three, line five and start reading. Nobody reads a book like that. And you don't read the Bible like that either. And chapters and verses serve us well. I mean, let's face it, Sunday morning, I say, hey, I'm reading from John 3, and everybody can turn to John 3, and that's really nice. <laughs> it's really nice. But the problem is it's, it's really de- helped, it's caused a lot of bad reading habits. And we just, you cannot take the Bible out of context like that. You've got to read big. I'm always challenging my students to read big chunks. We've got to stop baby reading. Yeah. You know, and I'm not trying to insult anybody, but, you know, the old read three chapters a day and get through the, the Bible in a year. I mean, that's a good plan if you're a new Christian, but it's not a good plan if you've been a Christian a few years. That's baby stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. you can read the New Testament every month. Easy. It's not even hard. It's, it's not even challenging to read the New Testament every month. And, you know, we celebrate getting through the whole Bible in a year. I mean, you've got to read bigger. So, you know, instead of reading Matthew 3, you know, you read you read half of Matthew one night and the rest of Matthew the next night. You know, you've got to start reading bigger if you want to understand what's really being said. You can't rip things out of context. And then the second thing is, is uh, literary genres, literary forms. Yeah. Uh, and the way I 
like to talk about this with my students is just like when you pick up a newspaper, you pick an old newspaper, not a tabloid, but an old newspaper that has layers that you can give to folks, you know, and the front section's got the headline news. I call that the serious headline news. And then you've got a section that maybe is the entertainment section. You've got the, the funny pages section, and then you've got the sports section. And they all speak a completely yeah. different language. They're not close to the same. Uh, the headline news, you never read the headline news and expect to laugh. There's nothing funny on the front page. Very, very rarely. The whole front section is serious news. But then, of course, you turn to the funny pages, and there's nothing. It's the complete opposite. There are no rules. As long as I can make you laugh, that's the only rule. And you read accordingly. You make the switch internally. and You know how to make that switch. And of course, then you pick up the sports page, and it's just one metaphor after another. And what people need to understand is the Bible is much like a newspaper. I mean, I know you don't want to think about it like that, but it is. It's full of literary uh, forms all kinds of literary forms and good interpretation demands that you at least have some awareness of what those literary forms are, how to make those shifts in your mind mm. as you move from literary form to literary form, because they're very different. Scott, that is a good analogy. I have not heard that analogy of kind of looking at the Bible like you would a newspaper and understanding. Cause I mean, we, we do that very thing, you know, when you're reading the sports mm -hmm. section, when you go to the obituaries, when you read the, yeah, uh, the section, we put ourselves in different places, you know, emotionally, yeah. intellectually, um, uh, personally, you know, um, so that's, I mean, that's, that's good. You know, and yeah, I'll the, give you another, I'll give you another example. When you yeah. go to the movies, Okay. I talk about this with my students. For some reason, people my age are fascinated with Titanic. I don't know why. <laughs> I, remember as, I remember when I was a kid, the bookmobile would come to the school, and there were always books about the Titanic, and I used to read about the Titanic forever. So when the movie came out back in the 90s, whatever year that was, I like to talk about this as an illustration for people who actually saw Titanic. You would never watch Titanic and expect to watch expect to walk out of the theater and say, Oh, that was so hard. I, I so moving and I felt so good. <laughs> and it was so funny. <laughs> you, know, you know, when you buy a ticket to a movie like that, there are certain rules that come with that genre. Hmm. This is historical factual movie. A thousand people are going to die. I'm not going to feel good when I leave the theater today. <laughs> and you accept those rules when you buy that ticket. And it's the same way if I go to see a comedy. Well, as Christians, we like to gripe about inappropriate comedy. And a lot of it is inappropriate. Let's just be truthful. But the real primary rule of comedy is they're trying to get you to laugh. And they don't care if it's appropriate or not. We might as Christians, but they don't. And you make those shifts, like you just automatically know that. But the same thing happens in literature all the time. And you've got to be able to make those shifts. And we misunderstand a lot of things simply because we don't identify the literary form that's actually being used. Jesus makes these changes all the time. We misread Jesus all the time yeah. because we don't understand how he's speaking. I'll give you a great example, too. You know, when you're talking to somebody face-to-face, -face, you can pick up on the fact that they're being sarcastic, right? Mm. Maybe it's a little subtle body movement or a little twinkle of the eye or whatever it is. You can tell when somebody's being sarcastic when you're talking to them face-to-face. -face. 
when you're reading literature, those kind of things are a little bit harder. How can I tell if he's being sarcastic? I tell you for sure, the Apostle Paul has definitely got some sarcastic yeah, squeaks at times. When you read 2 Corinthians, there's no escaping it. And, you know, but if those things are a little harder to pick up on, but you have to be kind of aware that uh, not only within one writer, they shift forms sometimes, and you have to be able to follow along with them. Mm. And so just these, ba- and it's not complicated stuff. You just have to get used to thinking like, oh, well, he's, he's writing a letter, but now he's being a little sarcastic. Or, oh, hey, that's a metaphor. I better realize that's a metaphor. Uh, so, you know, yeah. literary forms are essential to reading well. We do it intuitively all the time. We just don't do it with the Bible. My hypothesis is that we read the vast majority of the Bible like the front page of the paper. Mm. It's serious Jesus stuff. This is serious Jesus stuff. So I'm expecting serious stuff all the time. And that might be true in some cases, of course, but it's not all serious headline news. You have to be able to make those shifts. Mm. That's good. That's good. Thanks Thanks for sharing that, Scott. Mm. Um, You know, kind of bleeding into the Bible being difficult and confusing, you know, a lot of that just comes from, you know, how we as Westerners um, and Americans kind of think. And I guess one of the, the things that a lot of people um, believe or assume about truth is that if something is true, it must be simple. <laughs> it must be uh, easy to understand. And there's a sense in which it, you know, with the Bible, you know, if we go back to the original audience, it we wouldn't have as many issues that we do today because we understood it. We, we hear it in uh, the original context, but um, for those who may look at the Bible and go, it doesn't make sense to me. You know, it's not simple. Um, therefore it may not, I guess, be true um, is, I guess, is there any sort of challenge to that, to this idea that if something is true, if something is true, it must be simple. And I guess, is that, is, is there evidence for or against the Bible with that? <laughs> I find that whole question just, just funny, honestly. It's some, there's absolutely no truth in that, that if something is true, it has to be simple. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just think from my own life, uh, you, you can tell me about drag and lift and thrust all day long, and I am never going to understand how a Boeing 747 that weighs almost 500 tons can get off the ground. I am never going to understand that. I don't care how you try to keep explaining it to me. It's it's mystery to me how something like that can even happen. I was thinking about quantum physics with this question. I don't know. I'm not trying to. I don't pretend to be. You know, I'm not trying to show off. I don't. I know very little about quantum physics. But I know enough to know that there's nothing simple about quantum physics. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a couple examples. If, you, if your audience wants to look these up later just for fun, go to <laughs> YouTube. Go to YouTube and look up. It's, a, it's called Dr. Quantum. It's a cartoon guy who looks like Einstein, and they're actually really good. And then look up the double slit experiment mm-hmm. if you want something that will blow your mind. And then look up another one on entanglement. Okay. There is nobody understands quantum physics. Okay, they can explain what happens, but they can't explain. They can't really explain it. It's there are a lot of things happening on a subatomic level that just baffle everybody. And I'm trying to. I'm saying this because something can be true and and in no way simple at all. Yeah. 
and and not even explainable and uh and we're talking about quantum physics not even really explainable so and and just to give you a real simple answer here you know people thought for thousands of years that the earth was moving around the sun but i mean excuse me that the sun was moving around us let me say that right (laughs) we were sitting still we were sitting still and the sun was moving around us that's what everybody thought for thousands of years and obviously that's just not true we're the ones moving you know something can be true and it can be anything but easy to understand so the entire concept that you know the bible should be really simple to understand that's kind of a fallacy just from that statement alone but you know i will go back and say again that i don't think the bible is as difficult to understand as people make it out to be i think most of it is very simple uh, most of it i think is very straightforward uh I'll just give you a couple bullet points here you know there's a god who created everything he created the universe who created mankind number two god revealed himself to us number three god is a holy god we're told that man has sinned there's a problem that was created because of that number four god's love overcomes that problem jesus dies for our sins and number five we're told to follow jesus and if we do so we will live in eternity with god that is the central message of the Bible. I don't think that that's difficult to understand. Yeah. I don't find that uh, puzzling in any way. Now, I understand there's some things along the road in a book this big that we might question. But the central message of the Bible is very simple, and it's restated over and over and over. Uh, there's We have a creator who loves us, and he wants to be in relationship with us. That's the core message. And I think that we don't want to lose sight of that just because we might get uh, hung up on a few verses here and there. Uh, we don't want to lose sight of the big picture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, thanks for, you know, addressing that. And, um, you know, I, I, I was, as I was asking that, I thought, you know, that question gets uh, applied a lot to understanding God being Trinitarian, you know, being triune. And um, so I guess, you know, kind of, as you think about um, Bible interpretation, what, what are some common difficulties that that people run into maybe with Bible passages or even uh, interpretation of the Bible? What are what are some common things you run across? Yeah, I mean, I know that you talked to Shane Wood a while back and his expertise is in Revelation. And that would have been my first suggestion, of course, is everybody wants to debate Revelation. I don't think that it's near as <laughs> difficult as most people, just like Shane doesn't. Uh, but you know, there's again, simple rules just to guide your interpretation with even something like revelation, you know, first of all, again, going back to literary forms, you got to realize you're dealing with a couple different literary forms here. It's a letter. It contains some prophecy and it's apocalyptic literature. And, you know, we don't even know what apocalyptic literature is in the 21st century. So we're lost already. I mean, let's just be honest. We're lost. I'm lost. Everybody's lost because what's that? Right. We don't write in, you know, imagery like that anymore. And so it's a mystery to us, but you can learn those kind of things. You know, it's not something that can't be overcome. But I just think too about Jesus. I think Jesus is difficult to understand sometimes. And I think that he does that on, well, I know that he does that on purpose. Uh, I was thinking about a familiar text. It's repeated in a couple of the gospel accounts. And this one's from Matthew 8. And here, I'm going to read this. It says, you know, Jesus saw a crowd and he gave orders to go over to the other side. And there's a scribe that came up to him. 
And he said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then another disciple said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. <laughs> well, you know, okay, Jesus, right? I mean, this sounds like, this is difficult stuff. What are you saying? And you sound like you're borderline rude here, right? I mean, this is just, <laughs> this is the Savior you guys are following. You your Christians must be crazy. Jesus is kind of a strange guy. But Jesus, he, he speaks in, uh, he, again, this is, a, this is another lesson in literary forms. He likes to use what's called uh, overstatement, and he loves to use hyperbole. Mm-hmm. Hyperbole is kind of a overstatement. There, there's technically a difference. In our culture, we say hyperbole is really all of that, overstatement. Technically, overstatement can be done, okay? Jesus likes to talk in those terms, but he also uses hyperbole, which is like gross exaggeration that cannot be done. And... Here's a classic example, really, of him using both of those. You know, I, you know, you got, you know, go, go, let the dead bury their own dead, right? Well, that cannot be done, right? It's hyperbole. Jesus is trying to make a point, and I'm not going to get into all that stuff, but it's all about, again, what's he, what's he saying here? Is he, is he crazy? I mean, yeah. he's difficult to understand, but you know, if you just make those little shifts, oh, overstatement, oh, hyperbole. What's he really trying to say? You know, what's the point he's trying to drive home? And people use hyperbole because hyperbole is very memorable. Uh, you know, it's easy for me to say, oh, he hit a long home run today in the baseball game. That was a really long home run. Or I could say, you know, it was a monster shot and it's still traveling out there right now, you know. And you get the picture that, oh, that was not an ordinary home run. That was, that was, a, that was a shot, you know. Hyperbole is just memorable. And Jesus does a lot of things like this to make us ponder. That's one of the reasons he speaks in parables. They're difficult to understand sometimes. He wants you to stop and really think about what he's saying. And uh, that's what kind of draws you in. You know, that's, as a person who studies the Bible, this is what I like about it. Uh, but Jesus wants you to think. He, he doesn't talk in just plain language a lot. He uses other mechanisms to draw you in and get you thinking with him. Yeah. So yeah, it's difficult to understand sometimes. I'll admit that. But there are things that once you under, once you see the keys, so to speak, uh, makes it a lot easier than people think. Yeah, that's good. You know, and so much of you know in in scripture, you know, it's not one dimensional. You know, God's God commun- God communicates to us to the whole person. You know, mind, soul, heart, strength, everything, and you see that reflected in in the language in scripture. Um, that uh, some of the times those, I guess, exaggerations, those hyperboles are meant to make us feel things, you know, not necessarily, not just think things, but, you know, God's, God's wanting to impact all of who we are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in parables, a lot, a, there are a lot of different kinds of parables. Okay. But some of the parables are kind of like, it, they, they function like a good joke does. Okay. And the problem is it's hard for us to make, to see it because we get hung up on the details of the parable because yeah. it's 2000 years old and we don't even understand all the details, you know, so we have to think through the details to understand what his point is. But when Jesus is telling some of these parables, it's kind of, some of them are like a good joke in that at the end, you know, a good joke at the end, like, ah, that was good. That was a good one. Right. That's what a joke does to you. Right. 
parables do the same thing sometimes. Jesus is telling a little parable, and you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at the end, you're like, oh, <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like what you just said. It's got like a zinger at the end. But sometimes we don't always, we don't always catch that stuff because we're, we're hung up on trying to understand what he's even talking about because I'm not a farmer. I didn't live 2,000 years ago. I don't even get what he's talking about. But his audience got it. And so it's, uh, you know, sometimes we've got to understand some of those cultural cues, historical cues to help us get what he's saying. But uh, Jesus is a master communicator. Mm. I mean, there has never been a better communicator than Jesus. He is a master communicator. A lot to be learned from the way he spoke to people. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Um, Well, Scott, um, what's at stake? with you know a good bible reading like um is do we lose anything if we just faithfully um misread scripture and and by that i mean like we're we're faithful in reading the scripture but we're faithful in reading it wrongly or you know misreading or um not seeing the literary nature of scripture yeah that's that's another great question i mean the church failed to stand up against slavery for 1800 years hmm. because it misread the spirit of what the Bible is actually telling us all along. It, it's in the pages that slavery is wrong, but because we fixated on a couple scriptures like in Ephesians and Colossians, we, we fixated on a couple verses instead of seeing what God says in the entire message of the Bible uh, we didn't stand up against slavery for 800 years. So, yeah, there's a lot at stake, okay? Mm-hmm. When we misread the Bible, there's a lot at stake. And that's why we need to be committed to learning how to read our Bible in a, in a good, responsible way. Um, yeah, that's my answer to that. There is a lot at stake. Okay. Yeah, I, I appreciate you you bringing that up. I mean, that's, that's, that's a good example. Um, at what? Uh, you know, ze- being a zealous Christian is obviously what we should all be, but a zealous Christian infused with false teaching is dangerous. Mm. And that's exactly how cults get started. Now that might be an extreme example. I get it, but it nevertheless is true. And it happens on smaller scales all the time as well. Being a zealous Christian is not uh, anything close to the same automatically mm. as saying something that's true. So, our teaching needs to be infused with Holy Spirit guidance and, you know, using our brain that God gave us. And we've got to find, we've got to figure out how to teach it correctly because we can do a lot of damage when we don't. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, so would you, is there any like do's and don'ts when it comes to, you know, reading the Bible? If, you know, somebody's reading the Bible and they come across a, a difficult text or something that they're having a hard time understand, like what advice would you give to them to navigating that? Like, what do you do when you, you encounter um, a text that's difficult for you? Yeah. The first, the first rule that anybody will tell you, which I am wholeheartedly in agreement with context is the King. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is the King. There are a lot of things I could tell you to do that we teach our students to do about reading the Bible. Well, but context is king. And, you know, and, and everybody who's watching this knows exactly what I'm talking about because we live in a culture right now that is, you know, everything you read online is clickbait. 
In fact, the, the headlines of what we click on are, are, are often the very opposite of what the article's even about. And, but they want us to click into that article and, and for whatever reason, see their ad, they want us to click into that article, right? And so we're, 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 we are well aware now of context probably more than we've ever been, and that's a really good thing. Context is everything. And as a reader, you do not want to fixate on a few verses, and you don't even want to just read a chapter. You've got to start reading bigger. And so one of the things we talk about hermeneutics, this is called uh, what scholars call layer of context. Mm -hmm. So you want to put something in like an immediate context, like a paragraph, a unit of thought, and then you want to start enlarging those circles. You know, where did this discussion begin and end? That's what I would call the surrounding context. That might, expen that might extend three chapters. Okay, I better understand that because he began talking about this topic here, but he ended over here. And my little section, though, was right here in the middle. Well, I got to read all that. I can't just read mine. And then, you know, placing it within the context of the book itself. What's this book about? What's, what's the big point of this book? How does my passage fit into that? And, you know, we got to think like that. And then, of course, you just keep broadening those circles out to eventually get to the point where how does this fit into the message of the Bible as a whole? And that that skill alone is the single most important thing that readers need to always remember. Context is the king. Now, it doesn't solve every argument. I'm not going to pretend it does, but it is the most important thing. You've got to read the Bible like you would read anything else. Don't start in the middle. You know, if you're reading something from Matthew, well, you know, if you've got time, read the whole book of Matthew. Don't just read a chapter. You know, you've just got to layers of context is critical. Mm -hmm. That'd be my, that's my biggest suggestion always. Yeah. And you, you were even uh, mentioning, you know, kind of uh, beforehand that a lot of people um just don't even read the Bible, you know, and so that that's a that's a problem in itself. And so, you know, getting back into the into the Bible, it's you know not reading the you know the the headlines, but getting into the context. Mm -hmm. um, well, Scott, is there any I guess uh, like last things, any resources that you would recommend for reading the Bible well? Yeah, you know, I, there's a, there's a, this book must be popular for a reason. I mean, I've got it. I haven't read it in a while, but, you know, Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart's little tiny paperback, Reading the Bible for All It's Worth, has been a very popular book for several decades. Uh, for the most part, it talks about literary genres. It's not what the cover advertises, but that really is what it's mostly about, how, how to make those shifts and identify literary forms and what they, uh, how, to, how they're different. Very popular little paperback. Uh, I'd recommend that. If you're wanting something a little more, it covers a, more of an array of topics, even covering things like, uh, you know, historical and cultural backgrounds and stuff like that. Uh, if you're looking for like a hermeneutics text, I would really recommend Duval and Hayes, uh, Grasping God's Word. It's, it's about that big, but it's big font. And it's very user-friendly. I like books where guys don't try to speak over your head. You know, these guys speak in a language anybody can read. And uh, it's got a, a tremendous uh, source uh, bibliography in the back of it as well for building a library, which is nice for people. But it gives some real basic uh, steps on how to interpret well 
in a very user-friendly manner. So I like, I like that book a lot. It's a, it's a nice book. Cool. Um, well, Scott, any, any last things that you would like to say on the topic of hermeneutics? Yeah. I, I tell you what I tell my students all the time. There is, there is no substitute for reading the Bible. None. So I, I, I as teaching at Bible college, almost 20 years. And I tell my students on, on, I don't apologize for this. I'm glad called you, uh, God called you to come to a Bible college. And I'm sure you're here because God wants you to prepare to do whatever he has for you. And that's important. But at the end of the day, this is all secondary to reading your Bible. Mm-hmm. A student that doesn't read their Bible has got it all backwards. So you you've absolutely have to read your Bible. All these other things we do, they're secondary in nature. We have to read our Bible. That's where we understand what the truth really is. And our culture is starving to actually know what the truth is because they make it up. We make it up as we go along all the time based on what we think feels good and feels right. But we have to know what the Bible says. So there's no substitute for reading. And you've just got to remember that. Uh, You've just got to get it to soak in and let it become a part of who you are. And the Holy Spirit can help you, you know, digest that stuff and bring illumination to your mind based on what you know, you've already read that God has told you in the past. So uh, there's just no substitute for reading the Bible. If you want to be a, if you want to be a, I don't know what the phrase would be, but if you're in this seriously, you know what I mean? Yeah. To follow after Jesus. uh, And if you're a a (laughs) non-believer, I would challenge you to read the new Testament and, you know, start like read the gospel of John and, uh, just sit down and read the whole thing and see if see if your views have changed. I think a lot of people don't realize who Jesus really is. They just know what people have told them. And uh, there's nothing like reading it firsthand to kind of to kind of see. So yeah, that'd be my biggest word of advice: just sit down and read it. Cool, cool. And, and don't start on don't start on these giant Old Testament books. I mean, start the New Testament and you know read something like John's Gospel or you know, something like that. Uh, you know, you know what I mean? You don't want to get overwhelmed if you're a new Bible reader, but start on one of the gospels and read about the life of Jesus. And, and I think you'll get more turned on to the read more after that. Awesome. Scott, thanks so much for uh, being willing to talk with us about um, interpreting the Bible, especially difficult text. So appreciate your time and I appreciate your wisdom. No problem. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. It is so refreshing to hear that the Bible is not nearly as difficult as we make it out to be. But wasn't it also really challenging to hear about reading more than a verse a day or more than a chapter a day, but how about an entire book in a day? And I challenge you to take up Scott's challenge there to read more than what you are currently reading, like an entire book in a day, and, and see how much of the confusion you may have gets resolved in the process. Do me a favor really quick. If you could just take a moment out of your time and like this podcast and leave a rating and review, it helps people get access to more conversations like this. 
Next week, we are talking about the topic of loneliness and depression. Why is it growing so much among younger generations? How do we know if you are experiencing this and and what should you do about it? My guest is Dr. Gary Zustiak, who built the counseling program up from the ground at Ozark Christian College. And he is an expert in this field and it is one of those conversations that leads you wanting to know more. Well, I hope that this conversation has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact in your life. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next week as we talk about loneliness and depression.